Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to Murder Mile. Today, I'm standing on the Marleybone Road, NW1. Two streets west of the burglary of William Raven. One street north of the recruitment of Churchill's favourite spy. A short walk west of the last sighting of René Hanran. And one street north of the boy who broke the rules. Coming soon to Murder Mile. Perched on the corner of Gloucester Place, currently sits the old Marleybone Town Hall. A large stone structure with Doric columns and an obelisk-like tower, made famous by the known faces who have wed there. Sadly, as a registry office, marriages which begin there tend not to last. As Paul McCartney got hitched, rather creepily, to two wives there, only to end up widowed and divorced. Stroppy Oasis grumbler Liam Gallagher married Patsy Kensett and Nicole Appleton there, only for both marriages to lose their shine. And having wisely split from the second best drummer in the Beatles, Ringo Starr received his marching orders from ex-Bond girl Barbara Back. I'm warning you with peace and love. And I'm sure, in his typically passive-aggressive way, stated that he was far too busy to sign the divorce petition. Too much to do. With peace and love. Peace and love. Anyway, peace and love, peace and love. Although called the old Marleybone Town Hall, it's not actually that old having finished its construction in 1920. Prior to this, once stood Salisbury Mansions, a set of three-storey townhouses for the city's professionals. One such flat was owned by Frederick Chapel, a wealthy merchant from Liverpool. Only residing in his own townhouse just a few streets away, this discreet and convenient little hideaway would be the home of his pregnant mistress, 24-year-old Sarah Emily Mitchell. Being once his maid, now the mother of his child, here she would live like a lady, and yet she would never be treated as his wife. 
this is a place synonymous with unhappy unions. But only one of them would lead to murder. My name is Michael. I am your tour guide. And this is Murder Mile. Episode 184. A Woman's Sin. Were you to read any articles from this era about Sarah Emily Mitchell, you would see her tied with a brush of a wretched mother, a woman of sin, and a harlot of no pedigree. This unjust persecution is something that still happens today, hence why gossip mags and tabloid trash litter the shelves. Fixated on trivial tales of marital splits, cheating cats, and how... Bafflingly, a female celebrity who we've not seen since the 80s has got both fatter and older. But why people love them is that it shows someone of a higher status being brought down to a level lower than her own. She was born Sarah Emily Mitchell in 1840 although her exact details were unknown, as being a lower middle-class woman, her life wasn't worth recording, except as an appendage to a man. Raised in the bustling port city of Liverpool, she was blessed with a better life than most, as her father wasn't burdened by the endless grind of manual labour. As being an accountant, he had a profession. Alongside her sister Eliza, Sarah had just two choices in life. To marry a man and bear his babies, or to go into domestic service. In 1859, age 19, Sarah Mitchell went into service as the housekeeper to Frederick Chapel. A wealthy merchant and recent widower with two young daughters to care for who lived in the resplendence of Highton Hall, a large estate in the fresh, smog-free outskirts of Liverpool. Given a good wage, a kind family to attend to, and later joined by her sister as assistant housekeeper, with Frederick being a man of wealth whose business took him to many places, Sarah and Eliza lived in his second home, a small townhouse situated not far from the city's port. As a young, fresh-faced girl, innocent of the world and inexperienced of its dangers, she was blessed to have fallen into such a pleasant life. It's true that her hours were long and her chores were endless, but what made her days a pleasure was Frederick her employer, with whom she was deeply smitten. Being as aged as her own father, a little lacking in follicles on top, and with a pot belly as rotund as an upturned cauldron, Frederick may not have been the most handsome man, but being blessed with a kind nature and a big heart, 
he was certainly the sort of man a lower-class girl would dream of marrying. As happens, eyes met and lips followed. As a young, impressionable girl and a grieving widower, their romance was mutual. And with chemicals fizzing and feelings aplenty, basic logic made way for love. Initially, Sarah kept this steamy little love tryst with her boss, a secret from her sister. But their longing looks and furtive fumbles couldn't be kept quiet for long. Eliza would state, Mr. Chapel visited daily. He would take his meals there, his breakfast and his coffee in the afternoon. In a society where status was everything, and the class you were born in was a class you would die in, these two should never have been. So for the price of a piece of passion, they let their hearts rule their heads in a romance doomed to failure. Had they seen common sense, their brief dalliance may have ended there. But on an undefined night in September 1861, Sarah and Frederick engaged in a wild night of nudity and naughtiness from which a baby would bloom. Given the era, neither party knew about the ticking time bomb of chromosomes growing inside her womb. But as eyes popped wide, Tongues clucked and gossip gabbled. This undeniable evidence of their dirty doings would soon explode into the world like a screaming firework of tears and shit. To our modern eyes and liberal sensibilities, it may seem quaint that society would be so up in arms about a man of stature carrying on sexually with a girl from below the stairs. But that attitude is no less scandalous today. How much ink has been blown on news stories about a man of status and a woman of less? Like the priest and his housekeeper, the prince and the Hollywood actress, and the Californian governor and his maid. Over time, the text may have changed in the trashy tabloids and images may have been added to the gossip rags. But this stinky attitude still reeks of a desire to see the classes put in their places has not. In May 1862, with her oversized clothes struggling to disguise eight months of pregnancy, still unable to admit to her sister that a baby was on the way, they conceived a ruse to hide it from their eyes. Born in secret, at an undisclosed flat using a private nurse, on the 11th of June 1862, Sarah gave birth to a little girl, who she named Sarah Emily Adeline Mitchell. 
with peach-like skin and a loud set of lungs. It was clear that the baby was healthy and happy, and that its beaming mother was blissfully joyous. Notified of its arrival, Frederick did the decent thing, and he registered the child's birth using his name as its father, shielding the mother and baby from further scandal. It's fair to say that in the Victorian era, people feared the disease of how others perceived them over actual illnesses. A sickness could come and go, but if someone cast aspersions over your home life, your habits, or who the father of the baby was suckling at your breast, that could linger for a lifetime. On paper. Frederick was the father, but even to silence their cruel words, he could never marry her. She was the wrong class. So endemic was his attitude that even if his loved ones overcame their revulsion, the aftermath of marrying a lower-class woman could risk his business and reputation, whether he liked her or not. Seeing no one but her baby, and kept hidden in a lonely flat, from the baby's birth until mid-July, Sarah began to experience side effects of the pregnancy, and what we would term as postnatal depression. Needing family, Eliza was told of the confinement, and was moved to London to be by Sarah's side. With money no object, Frederick hired Dr. William Cathro, a respected and discreet practitioner, who attended to Sarah's black moods. His diagnosis was hysterical peritonitis. Following a traumatic birth, the stomach sometimes suffers a reddening and swelling known as peritonitis. Today. We know it's caused by bacterial infection in the blood or a rupture, but in the 1800s, it was believed to have been caused by hysteria. Being a woman, and therefore prone to the extremes of emotions, with the wonder of penicillin not to be discovered for another 70 years, the cure he would administer was not an anti-inflammatory. But something to quell her mood, marketed as a woman's friend, laudanum, a mix of opium and alcohol, was used to treat all manner of female maladies, as they were termed, which these predominantly male doctors didn't understand, such as menstruation, childbirth, and the very fashionable malady of its day, known as the vapors. Which included such ladylike symptoms as hysteria, mood swings, fainting spells, and depression. According to Dr. Cathro, I got her well by giving her large doses of opium. Being drugged into silence, 
Sarah was discreetly returned back to Liverpool, where she lived in a pleasant flat funded by Frederick. As a wealthy and generous man, she lived a better life than most. With a weekly allowance, her food and clothes on account, and no need to worry about work or paying the rent. But this was not a life. Hidden from view like a dark secret, the baby rarely seeing light and the mother barely seeing people. Being kept under wraps for fear of ruining his reputation, this imprisonment only made her sicker. On the 11th of October, 1862, as a savage echo of Scouse tongues faded behind her, Sarah was moved from her hometown of Liverpool to a new home of London. As being a woman of no known past, she could reinvent herself as a woman without scandal. That day, at the newly opened Baker Street station, Sarah and Eliza were met by Frederick. In a cab, he escorted them both to a presentable little lodging on Weymouth Street, replete with ornate drapes, soft furnishings, a cold store, and every conceivable modern luxury, like running water and gas lighting. For Sarah, feeling rather regal in such a grand place as this, she would often quip to her sister that she felt she should call herself Milady. And yet she would be gifted a much grander title than that. As to the landlady, Frederick introduced Sarah as Mrs. Chapel. With a gold ring on her finger, a townhouse in London, Eliza as a living maid, and no one to dare question her status, as a gentleman's word was enough. Given the circumstances, Frederick had done his best for her himself, but also his business. During her first month living a life as a lady amongst the London elite, Sarah was in her element. With her mood rosy, her health spry, and her maternal affections to her blessed baby Sarah without reproach, she had begun to become acclimatized to her new status. Only what plagued her mind daily was the sham. On the public's lips, they were Mr. and Mrs. Chapel. But on the documents which mattered, they were not. In short, the marriage was a facade, the child was a bastard, and she would forever be seen as a woman of sin. A dirty little secret, hidden from view, and swept under the carpet like an embarrassment of dust. For now, she was a lady. But how long could this silence last in a land full of whispers and suspicion? 
in society's eyes, Sarah was nothing but a cocky little Q-jumper. A whorish louse who had unleashed the perfume of her feminine wares to lure this wealthy widower into her lair. And in his weakened state of grief, she had ensnared him with a baby of burden to wring his wealth dry for her own gain. In truth, she hadn't. But the second a fragment of gossip is either written or repeated, regardless of whether it is based on a shred of truth, its factual veracity is irrelevant in the court of public opinion. Rightly, Sarah couldn't live with such dishonesty, and its torment made her mind a terror. Of her sister, Eliza would state, she was once so lively, so vibrant, a girl of smiles and warmth. And as a mother, she was always extremely kind to the child. She showed more maternal tenderness to it than I have ever known. But gripped by depression and distress, although unable to sleep, her bed became a home, her pillow a prison, Daylight was now an enemy, and her silence like a bitter wind. For Frederick, he lived his own life in his own townhouse a few streets away. In a place it was best for the woman who was sort of his wife not to pop by. So he went to her. Still both smitten, as often happens... The bedsheets were warmed, and a second baby would bloom. In November 1862, requiring a much larger residence for this expanding brood, Frederick moved Sarah, his pregnant mistress, her five-month-old daughter, and her sister Eliza as the live-in maid, into a two-story lodging at Salisbury Mansions on the Marleybone Road. It was a fresh start in a new house. But from where this sin had begun, soon tragedy would follow. Sarah's second pregnancy was not a joyous one. As whether sensing its mother's anguish, this restless baby had not given her a single night's sleep since conception. Born on the 13th of April, 1863, Frederick Chapel, son of Frederick Chapel, was born, with his father's name in life and on its birth certificate. But being born, a full three months premature, with its energy utterly spent, and emerging in an excess of his mother's blood. This undersized spawn had lived a little, but it lasted just half an hour. Her baby was dead, and inside her soul, so was its mother. 
diagnosed with hysterical peritonitis by Dr. Cathro. He noted, she had a good deal of nerves about her, with pains in the abdomen that I could not account for, but also pains in the head and a very great restlessness. Keeping her sedated, but failing to identify her situation as the cause, she required large doses of opium. I gave her a very considerable quantity to enable her to get any rest at all, but also to silence her tears and the neighbor's gossip. On the doctor's orders, seeing how excitable they stated she was, as wailing with every ounce of her exhausted breath, as the milky smell of her dead son still clung to her empty arms, her daughter was removed to a different room, and it was decided that Frederick should no longer visit her as often. What spurred this decision was that she had made ill words to end her life and that of her child, unless Frederick and she could live as man and wife. And yet for her sake, or most probably for his, the doctors had separated them. Riddled with paranoia, from the confines of a lonely bed, Sarah saw things which were never real. On the bitter breeze, she heard the gossipy whispers which stabbed in her ears. Through the walls walked faceless spirits, whose cruel questions never quelled. At her feet often stood a policeman to drag her to the asylum, and too terrified to sleep, a black river of beetles scuttled about her bed, body and head. To give her peace, when her moods seemed less black, Eliza brought her baby daughter to Sarah. Sat in placid silence, this small act of mercy did more than any drug ever could. But it also exacerbated her greatest fear. Assure me, dear sister, Sarah would state. Don't let Mr. Chapel take my baby from me. Sarah lived in hope of a blissful end to her troubles and trauma, but it was not to be. With three doctors, all specialists in their field, having determined that her declining mental state was proving to be a hazard to the welfare, business and reputation of their client, Mr. Frederick Chapel, Through Dr. Cathro, a letter of importance was delivered to Eliza. It read, I'm very sorry to have to tell you, but I've written to your sister to say that a separation must take place between us. With this view, my solicitor will call tomorrow to confirm with her as to my making a proper settlement for you all. For I'm resolved neither your sister nor yourself shall ever be wanting. Yours sincerely, 
F. Chapel. Being as good as his word, a generous annual allowance was made for Sarah, Eliza and the baby. And in his will, written prior to his son's death, this was upheld, leaving a second nest egg for life. Financially, Sarah could live her life as a comfortable lady. But as a woman of sin, she would have to do it alone. Unhappy with this settlement, Sarah would reject his offer. And once again, death would return to Salisbury Mansions. Friday the 31st of July 1863 was a better day, according to most. With Sarah sleeping, eating, and having been weaned off the laudanum, a sense of normality had returned. In the morning, with a 13-month-old baby sat in its pram, and its rosy cheeks all giggles, Eliza strolled it amongst the fresh, crisp air of Regent's Park. Back of the flat, all was not well. As her doctors, accompanied by Solicitor, enthusiastically instructed Sarah of the medical benefits of taking this generous offer. Doing what was best for herself, the baby, and of course Mr. Chapel and his business interests. In court, having previously declared her as sane, the doctors would state she was a very obstinate person, excessively so. I thought so by her not taking the advice I had given her with the best intention, as well as I formed the opinion that she was laboring under insanity. All she had to do to make the pain go away was to sign the settlement and give up all annoyance for Mr. Chapel. At 1pm, they left. Shortly afterwards, Sarah and Eliza had lunch. And feeling an overwhelming desire, to enjoy a sumptuous peach. At 2.30pm, Sarah asked Eliza to buy them both one from Covent Garden Market, as Sarah cuddled her daughter. Sweeping their failures aside, as if their expertise was never to be in question, as the case revolved around the motive of this loose woman's morals, the doctors would inform the court the great cunning that she showed was another symptom of her insanity. But for Sarah, this was not a cunning plan to avenge her former lover. As in her eyes, it was the only way out. Being alone in the sparse empty flat, Sarah laid out two neat piles of clothes on the bedside chair. 
a nightdress and stockings for herself, and beside them, a set for the baby. And although clean, neither would be worn just yet, as they were for the laying out of the bodies when mother and baby were dead. In her Bible, she'd marked up a few passages of prominence, and with no will or final words, clutching a sharp razor, she had stabbed down deep into the baby's chest, through its tiny thorax and its little lungs. As the pristine white of its woolen nightdress began to stain with a slow-spreading red from within. With nothing left to live for, no marriage, no Frederick, her baby son dead, and her daughter soon to join them, Sarah ripped the blade across her throat, sawing a jagged wound from ear to ear, and dividing her jugular vein until her body was still, her skin was pale, and her pulse was weak. Discovered when Eliza returned, although the baby clung on to life, it died just two days later. Miraculously, although critical, Sarah survived and was found to be pregnant, once again with Frederick's child. On the 4th of August, 1863, in a coroner's inquest held at the Buffalo's Head Tavern on Marleybone Road. After just five minutes, the jury returned a verdict of willful murder. Imprisoned at Newgate, her visiting physician was Dr. Cathro, who as witness against her would testify that her eyes were vacant, her movements unsure, and being of unsound mind, he declared her as insane. Having already lost a large amount of blood, a second physician, Dr. Charon of Charing Cross, decided it best to alleviate her hallucinations, her mania, and her suicidal thoughts by bloodletting. Weakened more before the trial, not a single doctor had asked if it was the cruel situation, the pressure of society, or the doctor's insistence, paid for by a man she wished was a husband, which had made her insane. But instead, it was ruled that, being a woman of a lower class, she was cursed by emotions and sin. Tried at the Old Bailey on the 26th of October 1863, and charged with the willful murder of a bastard child and her own attempted suicide, Sarah was found not guilty on the grounds of insanity and was ordered to be detained at Her Majesty's pleasure. Which begs the question, as a maid, had she fallen for a man of her own class, was it more likely that she would have lived? Status is only relevant to those who fear losing it. Happiness is what's important. None of us are perfect. We all make mistakes, 
and we all try to better ourselves. So why do we find it so shocking when someone dares to do better, to achieve more, or to be greater than life says we should? Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. And there we have it. Oh, that was a bit of a mouthful in places, that was. I'd deliberately written it in a kind of a, a stylized 18th century way, therefore, you know, kind of mimicking the kind of letter that was in there. God, the, oh, the way people write in the 18th century is just fucking annoying. Uh, it's just ah, oh, we'll read we'll read Frederick's letter in a bit. But you just say to yourself, just say what you mean, mother fornicator. Just say what you mean. Stop trying to be florid with your effing words, you turd. Anyway, welcome to the extra mile. I'm not saying you're a turd. You're not a turd. You're lovely. You're very lovely. Of course you are. Of course you are. You you listen to Murder Mile. You must be lovely. Uh, I mean these people. These people are here. Oh, right. Hello, Murky Milers. I haven't said Murky Milers in ages. Murky Milers. Welcome to, welcome to, Murky Milers, the people who stay till the bitter end. Not those people who've buggered off already. Yeah, balls to them. They're like off. They're like, oh, I can't be asked to listen to this. This. You know what? They miss out on all the fun stuff. They're balls to them. Balls to Monty. I've just taken your hat off, by the way. Right. Uh, shall I have a tea? I might do a peppermint. Let's do a peppermint. That will be nice. Nicer for Michael. So I'm moving away. Moving away. Uh, I forgot to put water in the uh, in the doodah. So there we go. Water in. Whoa. Lummy lordy. Lordy up on high. Oh. Right. Let's do that. Off and on. 
Ooh, look, Bakewell tart. Not Bakewell tart, Belgian bun. See, I haven't had any for so long that uh, I've forgotten what they're called. So let's pop that there. I'm going to have meat a peppermint. Oh, cripes. Lordy, lordy, up on high. What time is it? Uh, what day is it? I don't know. It's a Friday. So I've recorded... I edited one episode this week and then I went into town and recorded some stuff. Then I wrote and I'm editing another episode this week. A busy week. Still trying to get myself ahead. I've got enough time to go and visit my dad and my stepmom now and to go to crime con and talk to four people. Um, so, I'm sure it'll be fine. So uh, what else is going on? Yeah, just powering ahead, just getting busy. In the evenings, writing the special thing that I'm writing for the, when I'm away on the research weeks, I've got something interesting that I'm going to trot out. So uh, something different. So, yeah, I hope you'll enjoy that. Uh, what else is going on in the world? It's fine. It's nice and cool out at the moment. The heat wave has kind of buggered off a bit, which is great news. Great news. Heat wave, bugger off. Uh, we've had we've had uh, nice downpours of water. So that's filling up the canals, not up to the level it should be, because the canals are filled up by the reservoirs and the reservoirs are drained. So, uh we need a lot more water to come and help um what else is going on um regular laptop dead well it didn't die it's just uh, the the pins that uh charge up the battery are gone uh luckily i'm not an old faithful laptop I, i'm on backup laptop which is my smaller one which allegedly has a 20 hour battery Ooh, very exciting michael and i've set up with all the goodies on it so it's got google drive on it so all my all my files are on there so i can edit it's got all my software on it it's got all my documents on there so yep literally when one when one laptop went pooey i just moved to the other laptop which is good great and i've still got old faithful hidden away just in case because you never know uh so that's good that's that's everything's good at the moment uh thank you this week to new patreon supporter this is mark wilson mark wilson thank you very much mark wilson for becoming a patron subscriber you get uh if you go through the uh all the old stuff you can click on photos and you can see i think it's all the photos up until like F episode 50 and beyond so you've got a good wealth of photos crime scene photos that i won't share anywhere else you've got location videos uh lots of stuff uh if people want to become patron subscriber you can you, there is almost a hundred episodes of walk with me now uh with a weekly friday movie that i share so a murder related movie so i share some interesting stuff on there uh, some lots of things that i will never share anywhere else so uh all worth it and it's all just uh i think it's like two pounds fifty a month nothing you cannot even get a coffee in costa for that now they've gone from 260 i think it was about three years ago to it's now 380 and with milk being more expensive now that's gonna hit the force we know it anyway uh, uh right uh i'm gonna do some whoa is my is my kettle gonna go it is look here we go here we go there we go herbal tea time herbal tea time herbal tea time he's a man a man with a herbal tea a minty tea do, 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 do. Uh, let's do some quiz questions and then we'll dive into some extra stuff to do with uh, this episode so uh question number one 
Who gave the second best drummer in the Beatles, Ringo Starr, his marching orders? As mentioned at the start of the episode. So that's question number one. Who gave Ringo Starr his marching orders? Question number two. Uh, what city did Sarah and Eliza come from? Come on, that's an easy one. Easy peasy. Question number three. Ooh, burp. That's not the question. Question number three. What was the name of Frederick's splendid home in the country? Hmm. Ooh. Don't forget, as always, I haven't edited this episode yet. So some of the questions... I think last week's episode, I think question 10 didn't make it in. Uh, so not always all of them will make it. And this is unedited, so I'm not going to go back and edit this crap at all. Uh, question four. Um, what did... Dr. Cathro diagnosed Sarah's having post-labour. Question five. Uh, in the 1800s, hysteria, mood swings, depression and fainting spells were given the fashionable name of what? I think I unleash these on a regular basis. Question six. At what station did Frederick meet Sarah and Eliza to show them their first lodging? Question seven, what two modern luxuries did the lodging have? Question eight, what was the first name of both children of Sarah? Question nine, where did Eliza take the child for its last ever walk? And question 10, where was the inquest held? go so let's let's dive into some extra stuff here uh when i was gonna uh, planning this one my plan really was to look at how how the doctors and the lawyers had basically manipulated uh sarah into doing what they felt was best for frederick because frederick was the one paying the bills but uh, as I started going through, I realised there was an interesting connection between the kind of the scandal rags, the shite in the news agents, you know, heat, hello, take a break, all those kind of, oh, look at this nasty bastard, let's, oh, look, there's a woman wearing a bikini and she looks a little bit fat, let's let's make fun of her, you know, that kind of shite. So I realised there was a really, real direct connection between this and that kind of shite so i thought it'd be better to kind of really have a dig at that so there's bits that i kind of glossed over on this this but we can dive into it so uh there were several doctors that kind of uh frederick had used throughout um there's a couple of different doctors especially with the first pregnancy as well but i've kind of really focused on william cathro because he was he was the doctor that was uh, focused on her mental health, uh, especially with the second pregnancy. And he uh, was one of the witnesses at, at the trial. So uh, what can we say about him? He had diagnosed her with depression and excitability, as they call it. They, he would state that she was excitable, passionate and jealous. This was something that they were constantly bringing up that... Um, he would say, I frequently heard her say that she would do something to herself and her child unless she could live kindly with Mr. Mister Chapel. That means as man of wife properly. Um, the, this is something that was constantly being referenced that she was going a little bit mental. She believed that he was having an affair with another woman, which we don't have any evidence of. Uh, and this is what the doctors were focused on. Um, 
the doctors really seem to be um assisting frederick in, in getting what frederick needs he does seem like a decent guy deep down do you know he, he there's a lot of things that, as a man of money and prestige he could have just gone yep sod you i'm gonna get rid of you easily but he seems to like her he seems to be in a difficult situation which is not to give him a kind of an out for this but you know he, he puts his name on the birth certificate which as i hopefully i kept that in he uh he's it's mentioned that you know, some people don't do that some people go oh, i'm not going to do that or you know maybe they just don't don't want the father's name mentioned on there oh ow that hurt sorry just oh uh that was eva eva give me give me a kick because i'm uh i'm i'm not making her a, a, a lethal drink fast enough um so uh, as mentioned they used uh laudanum to kind of uh, pacify they don't see again that this is kind of in an era before kind of psychiatry is even kind of in its foremost they're still we're still in an era where in in the asylums they've only just got to the point where they're starting to understand that you don't put everyone in straight jackets you don't beat them you don't starve them this is kind of a point where you kind of it, it's about education but uh education and kind of being given someone uh, space and kindness and things like that so uh but at this point we still got doctors who are kind of they still got the arrogance we are doctors we know what we're talking about we know what's right for her this is our our client isn't the patient it's the person who pays the bills um uh what have we got here um a lot of the details we were able to get from Eliza because don't forget Eliza as her sister was uh, there all the time she was a living maid and she was the one she was the one quite often when Sarah couldn't deal with stuff Eliza would be the one who would be dealing with the the doctors and the and the solicitor and things like that and she was kind she was kind of bit, a bit of a piggy in the middle there um she said her sister became very strange she had peculiar ways she became very despondent um uh throughout she said she had pains in her head and pains in her back um now w none of which the doctors could seem to cure and they didn't really seem to know why uh, some doctors have suggested that um she may have had blood clots oh, although this is not too sh uh, not certain about this uh she saw persons coming through the wall and talking to her at night she had constantly having distressing dreams as mentioned in the episode she had uh she said she saw policemen in her room coming to take her away uh and there were mice and black beetles running in her bed um her face was constantly flushed and eliza said during the last kind of month or so she'd almost entirely lost her memory she couldn't like she sarah wasn't sleeping much but also things had to be repeated to her two or three times until she could actually work out what was being said um sarah had repeated suspicions so there's other doctors here there's a dr byam as well who was uh dr william byam who i didn't mention about here there's there's three or four doctors and it's i, I just felt that there was too many doctors it would confuse the issue so i basically fo focused on dr dr cathro but dr byam was another one and he said um uh sarah Eliza had said to her that she was really worried that the doctors were there to try and take the baby away from her, um, which in a way is kind of something that they were doing anyway. They were worried about the safety of the baby, but um, what's that noise? Oh, it's the, oh, it's the, I thought there was a mosquito in the room then. 
maybe i'm getting paranoid uh i hear mosquitoes at night because they do come into the boat during the night but i worked out it's the fan on uh on my laptop let's hope it's still recording it is i'm still recording um yeah no the the, the they were constantly trying to work out whether she was safe to be out on the streets, whether they could confine her, whether they could declare her as insane. They never really got to the point where they could say she was insane. And don't forget this era, um, a husband could really confine his wife to an assignment with very little evidence. If he had the money and he had the means to do so, all it would take is uh, his signature and a doctor's signature, which of course you could buy. Uh, there wasn't a huge amount of ethics back then um end of may 1863 uh, frederick and sarah had an argument uh, we don't know what the argument was but we know that at that point he had given her a letter we're guessing it was the same letter that was later sent to eliza uh, but we don't know what it read because she she tore it up and she burnt it in the fire um 25th of june 1863 unable to get through to her frederick chapel uh, had delivered uh, everything is now being done through solicitors but also her doctors that seems to be the way that everything's done um uh frederick sent a letter to elizabeth explaining the situation because he felt that elizabeth was the sane one obviously she was saying uh, i put an abbreviated version of this in the episode but really it says dear elizabeth i'm very sorry to have to tell you uh that from what has occurred between me and your sister over the last few days her violence has been such that i have become hopeless of her ever getting on comfortably together and i've written to her to say that a separation much must take place between us for i am convinced this is the best thing for her as well as myself with this view my solicitor will call tomorrow morning to confer with her as to my making a proper settlement for you all uh, for i am resolved neither your sister nor yourself shall ever want for anything um, if you would like to see me again on any matter uh, i should like you to come to the office and if you would let me know previously i will take care uh, to be in the way to receive you Pfft, just speak normally you twat uh, and matters over with you uh, you and your sister with baby will be enabled to live wherever you like um, although should it be somewhere where i should be able to see the baby occasionally i'm sure you will never forsake poor baby and that you will do your duty to the poor child give her a kiss for me and believe me you sincerely f chapel um so there was it so um when she died though she had 60 pounds in credit in her bank account which is roughly seven and a half thousand pounds today just over so she had uh, she wasn't impoverished at the time she died she had a good amount of money um he'd set her up in a place where she didn't need to pay the rent um in his will uh it was stated uh that she would get 250 pounds a year um which is some 14 21 that's about yeah it's about 20 grand a year it's a decent amount of money uh to be given to sarah with a hundred pounds um a hundred pounds of that to be given to sarah and a hundred pounds to the child she was pregnant with at that at that point which would have been uh his son um this was dated 3rd of march which was prior to the child's premature birth and its death ah uh, what else have we got let's just whiz on a bit uh, 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 a couple of days before um 
before everything kind of went uh, horrible, uh, the doctors had decided that she was uh, she was not insane. Therefore, she was sane. Um, so Dr. Byam of Whalebeck Street and Dr. Cathro, uh, both of them had gone to see her. They said uh, she was doing better in her confinement. Um, uh, the one thing that she was worried about was she was not on friendly terms with Frederick Chapel, but they they did say that she was uh, sane at that point, which is why it's always weird when later on they go, uh, no, she's entirely insane. Uh, 21st, 31st July 1863, the day of the murder itself. Um, as mentioned, uh, Eliza took the baby out for a walk in a place that shall not be named yet. Uh, she returned about 12 o'clock. She came back. She said her sister was in a good mood. She put the baby in a cot about half past one. Uh, they had dinner together. And then later she went to Covent Garden, Covent, Garden, Covent Garden Market for a peach for her sister. As her sister desired one. Um, uh, she said, when I left in the morning, I left the child in the care of its mother in the uh, room on the first floor, uh, which was uh, kind of a bedroom slash nursery. And it was a cot um where's the stuff about the clothes um dr cathro and the solicitor uh interestingly the solicitor was the same solicitor who would defend uh frederick at the inquest so the same solicitor who was the one who turned up and was like uh you need to sign this document blah 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 he was the same one who defended frederick at the inquest which doesn't seem right uh, they turned up at her lodging on Marleybone Road at about 12 o'clock. Um, so it's Dr. Byam, Dr. Cathro and the solicitor. So three of them there basically having a go at her. Uh, she was there lying on the sofa with the Bible in her hand. Um, Dr. Byam said that she was in a nervous condition. Um, con they described the conversation and consultation lasting about 20 minutes. Consultation, a nice way to say having a go at her. Um, um, in court it was stated was your object in going there to determine whether or not she ought to be put under restraint Dr Byam said yes it was uh, courts, in court uh, from what you saw of her should you say she was an obstinate woman he said yes excessively so this was the point where he said you know um, I thought so because she wasn't taking my advice which I gave her with the best intention utter bullshit uh, and the doctor said uh, she was labouring under a form of insanity I thought her of unsound mind uh, that was my judgement of her when I first saw her uh, while she was there this was when she was saying to them um, they they said um, which one said this is Dr Byme he said I, I told her I was sure um I, we were only there to make her comfortable and happy. I could get her a handsome settlement made upon her. Uh, I wished her to give give up all the annoyance of Dr. Chapel. Basically, don't harass him anymore with legal stuff. Just uh, sign the bloody document. Uh, I alluded to her excessive and numerous acts of jealousy. She told me she was jealous of Dr. Chapel. Uh, she was jealous of one woman in particular, a Welsh woman. Uh, she said that Mr. Chapel showed her. Uh, that Welsh woman all his kindness and affection but neglected her we don't know anything about this Welsh woman or even if the Welsh woman exists at all um, uh, throughout see this is the problem when it goes to court 
all we've got because she's dead all we've got is the doctor's opinion and who's who are they going to believe the doctors or a woman who's dead um uh, she was always excessively jealous and occasionally attacked with hysteria um she was not of a of a very severe character um after that basically they left her at that point and then went back and said um we want you to stop annoying our client basically sign the bloody document um the murder itself uh as mentioned eliza came back they had lunch and then she left um they said that there was premeditation towards the murder which kind of there is uh she got out of bed she dressed herself in a kind of night dresses and as mentioned in the in the episode she'd set up uh, a night dress a clean pair of stockings uh, and a robe for the baby which that she'd folded and put on the chair this is this was their funeral clothes um the baby was killed and she attacked herself with a stiletto slash razor i.e small dagger um now interestingly although uh there was an investigation into this and the police went into the room initially they couldn't find the razor it didn't seem to exist they she was in a room the room was locked they couldn't find the razor um then three days later behind one of the blinds um it dropped on the floor a policeman went in he was looking around it dropped on the floor and he went oh look there's there's a knife with blood on it now don't forget this isn't an era where um you can't really determine what type of blood it is you know human's blood animal blood you can just say it's blood um but that would have been important for the trial to be able to say this is the knife obviously this is this is pre i think it's just pre fingerprints as well so um what they needed the knife there to be able to say right uh she's in a locked room the baby's dead she tried to kill herself this is the murder weapon therefore it's a murder slash suicide um maybe it was found that way or maybe it's just bullshit the uh eliza returned just before four o'clock she found the drawing room as she calls it fastened um she was banging on it um she couldn't get into the room she was calling her sister's name but her sister didn't reply so she went to dr cathro who she know and he was the one he uh approached the door he got a fire poker and he broke it broke it through the panel uh, and on looking through, he exclaimed, oh, what a sight. There you go, because that's what you do. Uh, Dr. Catherine said, I found both doors locked. I asked for a hammer and a poker to break through the door. The poker was brought and I broke open the panel of the door and tried to get through. But I could not. I pushed the prisoner's sister through um, and opened the other door and let me in. Um, Sarah was lying on the floor. Uh, the baby was lying on the bed with some pillows over its face, suggesting that she'd also, having stabbed it, tried to smother it. Uh, Dr. Cathro said um, uh, there's blood all over uh, Sarah except uh, on her knees and feet. So she was obviously sitting on the bed when a lot of this was happening. Uh, I saw that she had a very long, jagged wound to her throat, extending four or five inches. The child was lying on the right hand side of the bed covered wholly with the exception of the left leg with a pillow. Uh, it was still alive. The razor was lying on the bed. See, he says the razor's lying on the bed at that point, but later they said they couldn't find the razor. Um, you can't fully trust everything everyone says. Injuries to the baby. Uh, its clothes were entirely saturated with blood. Um, doctor said on stripping the baby, he found a small clean cut half an inch below the nipple, which... Um, 
He later dressed with a sticking plaster. Great doctor. Great doctor. Baby has been stabbed. It's barely alive. And he puts a a plaster on it. There you go. That's going to help everything. Uh, As mentioned, the baby died a couple of days later. Death was caused by the wound. The dagger having entered the lungs, the cavity of the thorax. um, Nicking the heart, but not actually going through it and going through the diaphragm. Um, he said the wound had been inflicted by the razor which was the one that was later found and covered in blood Uh, what else we got what else we got I think that's pretty much it inquest was fast as mentioned it took them five minutes to uh, make a decision a willful murder she was held at Newgate prison um the, the Dr. Chone, the physician of Charing Cross Hospital, he was the one who made the decision that even though she'd lost a lot of blood, having slit her own throat, the best way uh, to make her better was bloodletting. Well done. Unfortunately, it was a thing that was kind of key at that point. Doctors were kind of all over it. And he was like, do you know what we need to do? We need to make her lose more blood. Utter twat. Um, trial was held at the Old Bailey. Uh, three days in total, uh, 26th to the 28th of October, on the charge of murder of child and attempted murder by suicide. Um, we don't know much more about that. I did a kind of a digging into her life. Uh, she was still in Broadmoor in 1871. 1881, she's not there, and neither is she any dates after that. So I couldn't find more of her after that. Um, so we don't know much about the rest of her life but the likelihood is she's probably she's probably died by that point and um you know not all the records are there so we can't actually prove where she is anyway that's that core lummy right let's do the quiz questions i haven't even had a swig of my my herbal tea uh quiz questions here we go um who gave ringo Starr his marching orders it was Barbara Back, who uh, was the former Bond girl who we married. He's not the best Bond girl, obviously, because as we all know, the best Bond girl in the world is Eva. Of course, that's a given. Question number two. What city did Sarah and Eliza come from? It was Liverpool. Liverpool. Uh, question three. Uh, what was the name of Frederick's splendid home in the country? It was Highton Hall. Question four, what did what did Dr. Cathro diagnose Sarah as having post-labour? It was hysterical peritonitis. Question five, in the 1800s, hysteria, mood swings, depression and fainting spells uh, were given the fashionable name of what? It was the vapours. <laughs> Question six... At what station? At what station did Frederick meet Sarah and Eliza to show them their first lodging? It was at Baker Street. Question seven: What two modern luxuries did the lodging house have? It was running water and gas lighting. Ooh. Question eight: What was the first name of both of Sarah's children? Come on, everyone should have got this one. It's easy. It was Sarah and Frederick. Question nine: Where did Eliza take Where did Eliza take the child for its last ever walk? It was Regent's Park. 
And question 10, uh, where was the inquest held? It was held at the Buffalo's Head Tavern on the Marleybone Road. <sighs> so there we go. That's it, people. Hope you enjoyed that. That was uh, episode 184. Got a couple more to go before we uh, dive into the... Uh, oh, oh, the the extra things there we go right that's me done have yourself a good week people stay safe thanks for supporting the show and uh, have yourself a good week be good Mm -hmm. even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue checkmark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.